0: Walk the dogs, school drop-off, meetings from 10 to 3, take kids to soccer, then no time left for a jog. When everyone else is relying on you, it's easy to put your needs last. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist online, so you can show up for yourself the way you do for others. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com. Can you imagine a magical world? A magical world. A magical world filled with elves and fairies and pixies and sprites. Whose only job is to make people happy. They want to see you smile. And laugh. And sing. And dance a little. These elves and fairies and pixies and sprites suddenly appear. When the junk in your life disappears. Call 1-800-GOT-JUNK. We make junk disappear. All you have to do is point. There. You did it. Now you can see the elves and fairies and pixies and sprites. The dogs and cats that crawl onto your lap and take a nap. The babies that look at you and smile. The delivery people that tell you to have a wonderful day. The neighbors that wave whenever they see you. Call one 800 got Invite us to your house. We'll only be there a few minutes. And then you'll look at babies and smile. And tell delivery people to have a wonderful day. And wave at your neighbors whenever you see them. Call one 800 got Or visit one 800 got
1: In the language of the U.S. Department of Defense, these are unidentified aerial phenomena.
4: Roswell's a very interesting place with a lot of people that would like to know what's going on. There is very compelling evidence that we uh, we may not be alone.
0: This
1: is the Garden of Doom.
2: Welcome everyone into Garden of Doom and this episode we're very pleased to have our guest as David Edward. He is an author. He's written many books, but with particular attention to them, we're going to talk about a book he's recently written on Atlantis. And as you know, we recently had a show on Atlantis and Tartaria, and then we're trying to get through some of the ancient cultures, um, the, the pre-civilizations, etc. And anyway, uh, in, in his book, he indicates that not only has he located Atlantis, but he can prove it. And I don't know. I don't think there needs to be any bigger build than that. So, I mean, this is one of the biggest mysteries maybe ever. I mean, it's been around my entire life up there with Roswell, Kennedy, the moon landing, you know, Atlantis and like, is there God? I mean, those, those, <laughs> those are like the the big five. So, uh, David Edward, thank you so much for joining us in Garden of Doom. Welcome. How are you doing today?
4: I'm doing good, Jeff. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, Atlantis—it's been a mystery for a long time. But you know what? It, it wasn't that hard to actually figure it out. I think a lot of people like the idea of the mystery uh, more than they like the idea of solving it.
2: <laughs> well, that makes sense. That there is something to that. There's uh, part of my life is a pro wrestling, and, and the money is in the chase. That's what they always say.
4: <laughs> no, you know what? Though you nailed it. The money—the money is in the chase. That's right. So yeah, I, I get a lot of interesting feedback from a lot of different people. Um, some of it positive, uh, some of it less than positive, but I, I my sense is when I do get the, the criticisms, it's from people that are involved in the chase. And if, if this thing gets solved, uh, then the, the money is no longer in the chase. So, but yeah, I think in the next hour or so, we, I'll lay it all out. We, we, it's obvious where it is. I can correct a lot of the things your last guest said. Um, and I apologize. I didn't get to listen to your show on Carteria. But I'm interested in that too. That's actually some of the stuff I'm researching now. So if, if the conversation goes into that, uh, that's fine with me too. But yeah, we can certainly we can certainly solve Atlantis, and I'll give you I'll give you the key to solving it and all that stuff.
2: Yeah, no, I, I I definitely want more on Tartaria as well. So probably what you have is different than, than what my guest said, because I think he was talking about more of the modern impact of Tartaria um, okay. and the legacy of it more than what actually occurred back. Whenever, eight thousand years ago, whenever it was. And, you know, and so whatever you have will probably be new. But yeah, let's let's I, I'm happy enough for you to correct, embellish or supplement on uh, the presentation from uh, our six time guest, Chris Ams on on Atlantis. I'm sure he's interested in that as yeah. well, because uh, I mean, his take was, you know, primarily from an academic and research based approach and, and as we do in the garden, we meandered a little bit into some other subjects. And for those who don't know, I, I do other shows with Chris and I've known Chris for a few years. So of course our conversation is going to probably go in even more, you know, different directions than the average guest because we have those years of familiarity where, you know, we're not afraid to talk about certain things together or whatever it is. Anyway, so sure. more about you though. Well first of all, tell us the name of the book, where where we can get it, and yeah, just start with, you know, I guess your origin story.
4: Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah. So, who am I? I guess. So, yeah. So, this book is called Atlanta solved: the final, definitive proof. It's it's a proof book. It's not a Graham Hancockian seven hundred page, you know, book that you're gonna read for three months. It's just basically it dissects the history, lays out the evidence, and then reaches a conclusion, which we'll talk about here too. I guess my history. I've gotten. I've been very lucky. I got to a lot of things, but the skills I kind of bring to the table in the Atlanta search is, I was a U.S. Army special agent in the 1980s and 90s. Uh, I was part of the team that captured Noriega. I did a lot of stuff in Central and South America, and in fact, I've, I've traveled extensively in Central and South America to not just the ruins. I uh, graduated from what they what, what they call it. it was I think it's the Jungle Warfare and Operations Center now. I think what I went through was just the Jungle Jungle Survival Training Center or something because you know. I'm, I'm a little old, you know, so this isn't this is this stuff that was happening a while ago. But so I spent a week in the Dorian Gap. I mean, there's petroglyphs there that are super interesting. And I have those survival skills. When I got out of the military, um, I had flunked out of college. uh, And I decided, well, if I'm going to flunk out of college, I got to do something. The military was the scariest thing I could find. When I got out, I I realized, you know, maybe college wasn't all that big a deal. So I actually finished uh, five degrees, I think. I have a, grad, a bachelor's, three master's, and I have a doctorate in engineering. I've been president of university. I've written like 49 books. And about two years ago, I was watching YouTube uh, because I'm an old guy, and old guys can't sleep, um, which, <laughs> Jeff, that, that's in front of you. You'll you'll find that out, you know, when you become an old guy. You're not an old guy yet.
2: I'm 54.
4: No, no, I'm, being, I'm I was being nice. Okay, thank you. <laughs> we are practically the same age. I'm a little ahead of you. Okay. Um, but, yeah, you, you would have been the freshman I was. Uh, Gave the nookies to when I was a sophomore. So, yeah, she got you back for um, that. Exactly. But anyway, yeah, so uh, I couldn't sleep and, and it handed me up uh, the Jimmy Corsetti Bright Insight Atlantis videos. And look, I, I look when I grew up, and I'm talking, I grew up in the 70s, and, and you know, there wasn't a lot of TV and content. So, you ended up, you know, you watched the, the documentaries and Jacques Cristo and all that stuff. Yeah. But pretty soon you ended up in books. So, I ended up in books and I read Fingerprints of the Gods and I don't know, probably 10 or 15. Not very good books at the time, but pretty soon there's no more of those. You know, this was a long time ago. So you you actually go back to the source material. So I'm I'm pretty I was pretty well read when I came in Atlantis. I had read Herodotus and play. I've read pretty much everything Plato's ever written like three or four or five times. Uh, my favorite writer is Xenophon, um, March of the Ten Thousand, all that stuff, or the Retreat of the Ten Thousand, depending. Um. So you know, I, I and i have read the, hist- well, the history, one of the histories is, is uh, Herodotus and all that stuff. So when I came to this, I had that background already. And uh, I watched Jimmy's videos, and I was like, okay, well, that place he's found, the Rishat structure, or the Eye of the Sahara, or wow. whatever, I was just as skeptical as anyone. But I kept looking, and I was like, okay, well, I haven't seen anything that looks like that before. And I listened to his evidence. And some of the stuff he said, you know, he found DNA evidence in Mali that they have lots of twins. Like, I, I don't know about that stuff. I can't, I'm, I'm more of a physical historian. Um, so I just wanted to look at the physical layout. And I have an engineering background. Um, I'm, I own a geospace company right now. I own two companies. One is a geospace company. We're, we're merging with another company, which is what I do when I'm not on podcasts. So <laughs> I have a background in all this stuff. Right. And when I really looked at it, it took me a long time. And then going through the dialogues, what I realized was that in um, in Critias, there's a twins list. And they give 10 twins. And people have done different things with it, but it's never been taken really, really seriously. So I went and found a... Um, a linguistic person who could help me with the phonetics and we really just started looking at the history rolling all the way back to about 12,000 years ago and you can find you can find those twins names showing up in places so it kind of gives you a map and then you really look at the uh, the history of Atlantis I I know your friend who was on before and everyone almost everyone makes this mistake they they claim it's an oral tradition Um, and this is actually one of the uh, um, criticisms against the whole thing is that You know, if if it happened in 11,600 BC or whatever, if if it was an oral tradition, how could it be accurate by the time Plato wrote it down in 360 BC? Uh, And it turns out it wasn't an oral tradition at all. That's one of the big fallacies uh, with Atlantis. We can trace. Uh, the cult of Neith, which was uh, the which is the Egyptian crater goddess, and uh, we can trace that through uh, Western and Northern Africa. We can see the cult of Neith form about 6,000 BC. We can see that transition into the temple of Neith at Sais, which is in the Western Nile Delta, which is where the dude who uh, Plato was writing about visited and talked to the priest. But this wasn't the priest just telling So on, right? Yeah, so on, all that stuff. But we, we can see that. We, we know that temple predates the first Egyptian dynasty. We know it was written on the walls. And something else that no one bothers to look up is there's this dude named Krantor who took over for Plato after Plato uh, passed. Because Plato, he did many things. One of the main things he did is he invented college education in, in the university system. So he had something called, uh, basically, what was it called? It was called uh, the academy. And uh, when he died, someone had to take it over. And uh, a couple of people were up for it. Uh, Aristotle was up for it, for example, and this guy Crantor was up for it. Aristotle didn't get it, so Aristotle kind of pouted
2: off, went north up to Macedonia, and crit- start criticizing Plato. Right, and uh, then well, he he got he got done pretty good with a uh, job with Philip, right, and then uh, school, yeah. a, a guy named Alexander who went on to do nothing much.
4: You know, Alexander. Well, you know, when we get into Tartaria, Alexander, and, and it seems like history fractures about the time Alexander's supposed to die. Uh, but that's a different that's a different topic, which we can we can get into um, later. No, Aristotle had a, a brilliant career, and he, by many people, is viewed not as a successor to Plato, but someone who was much smarter, or or had uh, smarter might not be the right word, but had a more more uh, had a view had viewpoints that resonate better with us today. Let's say that. Sure. But this dude Krantor, he loved Plato, and um, when Aristotle started criticizing things like uh, Plato's description of Atlantis. Crampo uh, wanted to prove that Plato was right, so he actually went to this temple and he verified the writings, which no one else ever talks about. So not only was it not an oral tradition, we can trace the history of it dating back uh, thousands and thousands of years. It was physically written down. Matter of fact, the criteria for the Egyptians to uh, for the historical criteria that we've applied to the Egyptian dynasties is such that we identify the first dynasty because we think that's about when writing started.
0: Can you imagine a magical world? A magical world. A magical world filled with elves and fairies and pixies and sprites. Whose only job is to make people happy. They want to see you smile. And laugh. And sing. And dance a little. These elves and fairies and pixies and sprites suddenly appear. When the junk in your life disappears. Call 1-800-GOT-JUNK. We make junk disappear. All you have to do is point. There. You did it. Now you can see the elves and fairies and pixies and sprites. The dogs and cats that crawl onto your lap and take a nap. The babies that look at you and smile. The delivery people that tell you to have a wonderful day. The neighbors that wave whenever they see you. Call 1-800-GOD-JUNK. Invite us to your house. We'll only be there a few minutes. And then you'll look at babies and smile. And tell delivery people to have a wonderful day. And wave at your neighbors whenever you see them.
4: Call 1-800-GOT-JUNK.
0: Or visit one 800 got Well,
4: this temple of Neith of Sa'is was around before the first dynasty, So it's entirely possible that the very first thing they ever wrote down was the story of Atlantis. But anyway, it's, it's it's all physical evidence and, and we have all of that and it kind of verifies uh, what Plato says. The other thing, if you've, if someone, if you've read all of Plato, he does use allegories, you know, we know about the cave and the Republic mm-hmm. and all that stuff quite a bit. Um, but he's very careful to tell you when he's doing it. Um, matter of fact, I forget the name. There's a, I guess it might be the laws. Shoot. There's one of his later dialogues. It gets really kooky because they start talking about reverse time travel and uh, the earth going backwards and people rising from the grave and being unborn and reborn and all that stuff. But he says, okay, okay, enough, enough with the, our imaginations, let's get back to it. Right. When it comes to Atlantis, he goes out of his way to tell us that this is, he believes, a true story. Uh, the other uh, thing, just to knock out of the way, because no one else looks at this, is the person in these dialogues, Critias and Timaeus, that, a, that has the words of Atlantis in their mouth is this dude named Critias. And criticisms of Atlantis tend to say, well, you know, he's one of three or four historical people, but he can't, it can't, doesn't really work, really, he can't know the things he's saying. Well, he, he actually can't, if, if, you know, it took me very little time to piece it all together. And there's actually, there's a succession of Critias's. So Solon had a brother, I think his name was Diropides, um, who had a son named Critias, who had another son who had a son named Critias, who became known as Critias the grandfather, <laughs> because he had a son who had a son uh, who was named Critias, who became Critias the Tyrant. And in the Timaeus dialogue, it's Critias the Tyrant who's talking, which is people who don't like Atlantis are desperate to get all of the words into this dude's mouth because he's a bad dude. He was one of the 30 tyrants in Athens, and he has kind of a checkered past. But in the Critias dialogue, it's actually Critias the Grandfather talking. And the cool thing about Critias the Grandfather, this is where we get most of the physical layout of Atlantis. Uh, Critias the Grandfather says that uh, when Solon went to Egypt, he wrote all this stuff down. And then that passed down to him, and he still possesses of the writings. So what he, and he says he's studying them, and so when he's talking and he's saying that it was three rings, and it was this, and there was agriculture, and all those things, uh, he's recanting what he read in the scroll, which was a direct translation. The priest helped so long with it off the temple walls, which would have been later verified by um, uh, Krantor. So in other words, the history, it all, the history all locks in. So I, I like to get that out of the way. I know that's a lot of me talking very quickly. Um, but we're not dealing with this. This isn't a myth. It's it's not uh, it's not a fable. It's not it's not um, you know, people claim that Plato uh, just made it up. He was trying to demonstrate morality for his perfect state and all that stuff. And he might have been doing that, but he didn't make it up. Is is, is the key? This this is based on writings um, and the legend that w- that was known through physical evidence.
2: Well, that's very interesting. Um, I and. You said that there was the, the sect of Neith, is that what you said?
4: Neith, yeah, the cult of Neith. So Neith, of Neith. Yeah. So if you look around, if you look at um, a lot of the Mediterranean there is a goddess, and when you see the little figurines it's a very, 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 very very heavy looking uh, female uh, figure. Uh, like on, And you see this on Malta, and, and, see, and no one knows where this cult came from, but these figurines, and, and this seems to have emerged around 6,000 B.C. or B.C.E., depending on religious preference, right. um, and corresponding to the cult of Neith, she was a war goddess um, in the uh, kind of northern Africa, kind of west of the, um, the uh, Nile Delta, um, and then you can see that that culture, that cult moving into Egypt. And eventually forming in the Nile Delta. And if you look up Neith, it's another. This is an Egyptian god that no one talks about, but she is right. the mother of the Egyptian pantheon. She she's the big dog. Everyone else that we ever talk about, she's their mom.
2: She's Gaia.
4: Yeah. So. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that name.
2: Or yeah, Gaia or Rhea, You know, in all the Greek, in, in, in like all the religions, like all the gods we know are like the grandkids or the great grandkids of whoever was first.
4: Yeah, and so yes, in, in Egyptian, in the Egyptian pantheon, uh, she was first. Uh, and like, you know, again, we can trace her back long before they tell us Egypt was around. Now, we could debate whether Egypt is really only, you know, did it really only start around 2900 BC or not? But again, that's another, that's a separate debate.
2: So. I'm, while you're doing this, I actually, <laughs> ignore me while I'm doing this. Don't let it distract you. I'm, I'm going to look for something. Okay. Keep going. Keep, 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 keep going on Okay. Yeah.
4: Well, that
2: was that was it. I made my point. So okay, I just wanted to check because I I found this this wonderful thing called uh, charts uh, or useful charts, and there it is. Yep, right under Nun and Mahat Weret. Nun is the primordial waters. Mahat Weret is the celestial cow. We've we've heard that before. And right underneath them, on on the right, Neith is their yep. child. N e i t h, goddess yep. of war and hunting. So yep. Right there, uh, sec- second generation, first generation of, I guess what would be called, you know, close to an anthropomorphized god rather than an elemental uh, force of nature god.
4: Yeah, yeah. I, mean, look, I, I don't, I don't go into any of the uh, societal or religious implications of any of this. I'm just looking at the physical no, uh, uh, history components. Yeah, but the, the interesting thing is we can see that cult coming from the west of Egypt. And if we buy this location of the Rishak structure, and then we start to lay out the twins list as, as provinces, as, as the princes of those provinces, and we start to look at where that migration would have gone, it, it goes right through that area and it goes right into Egypt. So so physically, um, it, it's a really good candidate for this information.
2: Well, this, this is, I mean, it, it's intriguing because I, I've never heard of this twins list before, but it makes so much sense that it would come from a root culture uh, in that there's twins everywhere. I mean, the Adam and well, Eve yeah. twins, Isis and Osiris twins.
4: Yeah, I don't even think that. I don't even think the fact that they're twins is, is the important piece. We're, we're used to seeing Kings List. We know mm-hmm. that making Kings List is a big part of the Egyptian ancient history. And it seems like that tradition started with Atlantis, which makes complete sense. Now here's the other interesting thing. The inter- the first, so the first, the first twin born is King Alice. So he rules, um, Atlantis the, in the capital city. So if that's the Rishat, the next thing we're told is, is the next twin is named Imalus. And it says he rules to the North opposite the country that is now called Gades, right near the, um, near the, uh, the pillars of, of Heracles. Well, wow. that's exactly... You, you can put that on the map and you can put Imelus right there to the south of the pillars in northern Africa, and it lines up. And if you do that, that kind of locks it in because that... that that we don't. He doesn't give us a lot of directional references. This is one of the only ones we get. We get north. We get north with mountains, and we get north with this first province. So if you look at the Rishat structure, understanding that we were in the Green Sahara and all that stuff, and we all, we're all told that we all came out of Africa, so why wouldn't we expect to see the first big civilization in Africa? Mm-hmm. We get so so if Rishat locks in, then Imalus locks in, based on the dialogues so from that we can now start to go in the order of the twins list look for the phonetic matches across the locations for example the next twin um is known as amferis which of course is the next piece of something called the amferi Sea. now they tell us it was named after some guy from 100 years ago but that's how, how can that be no they don't really know that it, it's a it's a spanish um, Portuguese name, but then that's north uh that's on the other side of the street, which is exactly where you would go. Sure. Then the next uh his brother is named Gnosis. It's spelled differently, it's spelled M E N M N E uh S E U S in the dialogue, but phonetically it's it is pronounced exactly like or whatever the Crete
2: Island.
4: Yeah, Gnosis, yeah, but that's how it's pronounced. Sure. Now we, you know, people want to say Crete and Santorini and all that stuff. I, I think those are the remnants of some of the uh, uh, the culture and stuff. But you can you can start to tie this in. We also know chariots were involved, and we find petroglyphs of chariots in northern Africa. Now, uh, mainstream academics like your buddy uh, they they follow uh, arbitrary rules that someone else made up, but they were taught to follow. So one of the rules is if you find a petroglyph and it's got a wheel or a horse on it, you are not allowed to date it older than 33. 100 BC, the beginning of the Bronze Age, because we've decided that that's the earliest anyone had horses and wheels attached to them. But that that's not a, that's not a real dating, that's, that's meaningless, it's just an arbitrary rule. So you start to look in Northern Africa along these locations, especially between where the Rishat is and um, where the Western Nile Delta is, Libya, all those places, and there's all kinds of cave petroglyphs that show horses and chariots. Well, we're told in the Critias Dialogue that the Atlanteans had 60,000 10 by ten stadia farms. Each of them had to um, uh, contribute to the kingdom one sixth of uh, a war chariot. So all of this agricultural land we find pictures of chariots, and, and there's I can just go on, I could talk about this forever. I don't want to just just dump on you, but it, once you once you allow yourself to look at it and you push aside kind of the the. The acad- I'm trying to be nice. I sometimes am not nice when it comes to academics. So
2: orthodox um, academics. That's...
4: Yeah, I call them clowns, but we can call them orthodox <laughs> academics. Um, once you push aside their stupid rules that so they don't even know why they're the rules, and he's look at this with fresh eyes, but realistic eyes. It, it's all right there. I, I think that we. I think there are people out, um, like Randall Carlson, for example, who I think they they view their job is to keep this area obfuscated and confused and and. Offer dumb solutions that uh, uh, prevent us from from seeing the very simple truth. I mean, he thinks it's the Azores, which of course is impossible. We would have to completely rewrite history. we have to pretend that uh, glacial rebound is uh, real to the to the effect of being able to create a one million square mile landmass, which mm. is is not. It's just not real. It's not true. But. One of the things that the Critias dialogue tells us is Wait, that can we the, can
2: we expand on that a little bit? Because I I don't know that everybody's going to know what glacial rebound is. And when I talk about everyone, I mean me. So. Okay.
4: So <laughs> so in order for the Azores to have been the capital city of Atlantis, this is mm-hmm. the other thing everyone wants to win, right? That's our society today, right? We we all pick stupid positions and see if we can make everyone else move over to them because then we feel like we won right? So... Uh, that, that's my beauty. My beauty is,
2: my, my beauty is I, I'm perfectly happy to admit I don't know what Global re, Rebound is, and, I'm not, and I think I know where the Azores is, but I'm not 100%. <laughs> well,
4: yeah, well, that's fine, well, but that's that, you know, that's a very enlightened approach in, in, in today's world. But Atlantis is the same way as politics, which is everyone wants to win, so they pick their horse, and then they will just die on the sword defending it. Mm-hmm. So in the dialogues, we're told that the, uh, the Atlantic Ocean was navigable in these times. So... Uh, Like Graham Hancock has said, uh, if for that to be true, we'd have to be looking at something along the lines of 15th to 16th century sailing technology.
3: Nature has developed a lot of natural defenses. Take it from a little bug like me, I've pretty much seen them all. Porcupines got quills, snakes got venom, and me, I got camouflage. Nature's always finding ways to support life. Like elderberries. Nature's Way extracted the best of the berry, tossed in vitamin C and D and zinc, and put them into a yummy immune-supporting gummy. Nature's Way Sambucus Gummies. Powerful immune support inspired by nature. Nature's Way.
1: Low energy, or low E, affects millions. In fact, it would be running rampant if it had the energy to run. Fortunately, Planet Fitness can help. Now through May 10th, join for $1 down, $10 a month, cancel anytime. Enjoy equipment for every workout in our clean and spacious, judgment-free zone. With your new Big Fitness energy, you can combat low E symptoms, such as persistent couch crave and excessive leaning. Don't wait. Join Planet Fitness for $1 down, $10 a month, cancel anytime. Deal ends Wednesday, May 10th. See Home Club for details
4: now we're getting into fantasy land because you know if now if we found evidence of that going back 10,000 20,000 years that'd be one thing but we, we, we you know even i'm not willing to just make something up right. but what, what carlson says is that uh the ice cap the, the northern ice cap became so big and so heavy that it, and it weighed so much that it pushed down on the floor of the atlantic ocean and because things have Equal and opposite reactions. Where it pushed down, that would mean something else had to be pushed up. Now, the, the so a mountain
2: came up because the ice pushed down. Because something the ice like that. It down.
4: Right. The problem is the ice sheet would have had to come down within about. I've done this calculation, independent to his. I've done it, it. Would have had to come down within about two hundred miles of those islands to produce the landmass required. And once it did that, basically these islands would now be in the North Pole, which can't support the agriculture and all that other stuff. Also, the sea currents don't work that way. You can't really get. From, the, from uh, the pillars of Heracles, uh, the Strait of Gibraltar, to the Azores, in in the boat technology that would have been available. It's basically these boats were called Tanupa boats. They still exist today on Lake Titicaca. They're made out of reeds. Mm. And we know that these boats, in fact, this uh, supports the Rishad structure because the, the way the currents work is you basically leave Morocco uh, in May. And by July, um, you're near South America um, because you rode the currents all the way there. Uh, the way to get to the Azores is the return trip. So you come back basically from where the Bimini Road is, and you ride those currents in late summer, and you end up in the Azores, or you miss, and you go up to what's now England-ish, but what used to be Doggerland, which was, and and this is a prototypical example of of the glacial rebound and all that stuff, because Doggerland used to be, you know, all all the land um, east of uh, uh, England and all that stuff used to be above above water during this time.
2: So Carlson's, this rebound theory is basically the equivalent of the Hapsgood, you know how the crust displaces so quickly overnight over you know not not over tens of thousands or millions of years it just happens really quick and you know
4: yeah no no so that hapgood is yet another theory so it's it's so the the hapgood theory is that if the poles if the ice gets really heavy we're if we're and we're on a spinning ball right uh pretty soon the 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 tops of the thing aren't going to be the heavy it's just going to want to take it out to the equator and if it does that um maybe a lot of the land moves with it right,
2: and, crustal and displacement very, like the yeah, maybe, orange maybe peel
4: like maybe it the slides with it yeah um this is a that, that's a very difficult proposal uh, in, in some some people still like it but it has other problems um, that and the thing we don't need in, for glance, we don't need any of this by the way right uh, We can just actually look at the world the way it is. Now we do know there was ice, so uh, we, if you lower the sea levels 400 feet like we're told they were, mm-hmm. um, all these measurements make complete sense and we're talking right. like eleven. and the other thing that with Plato, and I know you, everyone talks about this because everyone can remember, but he mentions uh, you know nine thousand years before Solon went to Egypt in uh, 600 BC, so its about 9600 BC. Uh, which is like eleven thousand six hundred twenty-two years before now, right. which is a magical date. This is this is why Atlantis is still around, and Graham Hancock is the one who noticed this. But it it, it equates to the end of the last ice age and all that stuff, which uh, which right. I know people often hear talked about. Right, the so Younger it, it, Dryas,
2: the comets, the the floods, everything.
4: Yeah, it, it all yeah. works around there. And so, and clearly something happened, but I don't. I, I've I've resisted picking a uh, cataclysm of, of the day or a cataclysm of my choice to defend. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have to defend Charles Hapgood, uh, uh, you know, crust displacement or uh, Younger Dryas uh, impact, comet impact theory. or I, I don't, We don't need any of that. Right. Clearly something happened. And and, and, it, and the records show it. No one disagrees that something happened. And when we can see, I mean, the temperature of the planet rose 30 or 40 degrees Fahrenheit in under a year. It could have been a day. We don't know. Um, this is like the woolly mammoth we find frozen with food, the food still and stuff. You know, so something happened. Um, and no one disagrees that something happened. And if we take time to defend what that was out of Atlantis, again, the Atlantis story becomes much more plausible.
2: Absolutely. Now, I, I understand. you. I mean, you're just trying to say, you don't need to get all that kind of complex. Keep it simple. Right there we have the environment was different. The, the ocean levels were different. And there it is in this one place. So... I don't think that there's that many people who probably picked this one time to listen to the Garden of Doom out of nowhere. But if you have, uh, we should probably go back a little bit into what the recat structures, the Eye of the Sahara, Eye of Moritaire. We've talked about it on the show a few times, and basically, it it once you Google it, you'll be amazed if you never heard of it before because it's it's basically. You you everyone has seen this structure before every time you've seen a quarry before you've seen this structure or a nautilus from from above or if you've taken a Phillips head screwdriver into the dirt or whatever you seen. the only difference is this is like 25 miles in diameter. So, you know, unless there's actually Galactus or God or Celestial up there with the giant Phillips head screwdriver, um, you know, the, this defies any sort of explanation that, that I can come up with, I, uh, the closest thing I heard at some point is this was probably seven or eight years ago was that scientists thought that something, uh, impacted the earth while it was still, while it was hardening, but it was soft enough and basically like a spear or basically like a screwdriver basically drilled itself into the earth and implanted itself in the molten core, which also seems very convenient as well.
4: Well, Jeff, yeah, and this is my point: we don't need any of that. It's it's clearly there; it yeah. clearly exists. Um, it's beaten down to the bedrock right now. So, and and in the dialogues, uh, we're told that they had to dig and keep it. They, they they dug a center channel between the uh, inner island and the outer island, which they said was fifty stadium, which is exactly how far apart they are, by the way. And we can and we can even see where a piece of that is cut out in the uh, southern was southern and slightly western uh, bedrock on the outer ring of the eye of the Sahara. What Plato says is that it was created by um, Poseidon. Uh, in other words, it was naturally created. Right. Uh, so it was like a really good place to start, but he, and then he said, but you won't believe what they've done with it, <laughs> yeah. which is pretty much. Now, the other thing he says, and this is some, part of my contribution to this, I'm not just re- repeating what other people have said. I work with this guy, David Stig Hansen, who's been there twice, and we've taken samples and done measurements and flown drones and all the things that you do. Um, and in the dialogues, we're told they they mined something called ore yes, uh, right, and which which no one knows what it was exactly, but they think it was probably copper and, and you know something. Well, the two things are going on there. Uh, the big thing is I found all the old copper mines. So if you look around the Rishak and look to the north, you can find massive open pit copper mining that is that is covered by um, a layer of, uh, of of cooked salt that would have uh been left over when the seawater evaporated but so it's preserved a lot of this but if you go look up copper is mostly mined in open pits and you go look to the north of this Rishat thing in the mountains and there's not hundred, dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of miles of the remnants of open pit copper mines there's also we're told that uh, there's massive irrigation and canals and stuff and again i've found uh, all of that to the north um, and to the west of the, uh, the Rishat structure so there's clearly human work uh, Landwork um, there, earthworks, uh, and it's covered by these what well, they call me evaporites. so what happens is when salt you vap, when salt is kind of all the water goes away and it's cooked in the heat mm-hmm. and this could be over thousands and thousands of years, it looks like a rock so you've got like this two and three inch crust and it's and this is over thousands of miles everywhere well this is this is the beautiful thing. so if the salt water came in and then went out and it was cooked in the sun because the the, tra- the Sahara transition from kind of a nice place to what it is today a desert. But it's preserved all of these earthworks that probably the winds and other thing or the sands just would have covered, and we can see these channels and these canals going for hundreds of miles underneath the sands. So we have man-made canals going under the current sands of the Sahara, but covered in these evaporites that date back exactly to the time of a cataclysm like eleven thousand six hundred B.C. So there's tons of physical evidence. We also have uh, there's a company, there's a shell company. It's actually owned by a Canadian company called the Mauritania Copper Mines. And, it, you know, one of the things that people don't like about Rishad is they can't, if Atlantis sank into the sea, where did it sink? Well, this is where it ties to Tartaria because we know it was covered in at least 100 foot of popsoil. That's in the dialogues. Uh, if, if a tsunami came in and this thing was sitting on a volcano, uh, it looks like this Atlantis. I called it in one of my videos. I called it the first mud flight because we can see that the water would have come in. And then it would have receded out. And about halfway between the Rishat structure and the current coast, the Mauritania Copper Mining Company MCM, has been strip mining with a secret dome over it. Okay, and they're not supposed. And, and, and the, the actual contract they had was supposed to have been up in like two thousand eleven or twelve, but they're mm. still working it. Okay. My theory is that they found that's where the remnants of the city would have gone. And, and my theory is they're, they're mining it. You know, it was just, we do this everywhere, right? We cover stuff, you know, you get into Tartarian star forts and golf courses. It's just, it's a classic cover up. I, I can point to where it is in one of my videos, I show where it is on the map and you can trace the shell company back to Canada and it's all big energy and all that stuff. So it, it absolutely. It's absolutely been found and they're destroying it as we sit here and talk.
2: Oh my goodness. Wow. So the, uh, I, I can't pronounce it though. Or, or, Oraculum, I think is how I pronounce it when I read the. When the I don't
4: know how to say it. I, I decided to call it Oracle Calcum because I can say
2: it. I think that's fine. <laughs> yeah. And no, no. I think the first time I came across it was in, in the, the, what is it, Turtle Dove books where he pretended it was like a giant continent between Africa and, and the United States or North America and, you know, became its own continent. So, or maybe Talisman. I, I don't know. It doesn't matter
4: where. Well, in, he, had, he, had, he had Athanasis. I'm probably, I'm probably terribly bastardizing that name. But his, his 1660s map is that famous kind of generic map that has something that looks like it has a little continent about where the Azores is in, in the middle of yeah, it. Right. Well, here's the thing. That, that map has a reverse cipher code on it. If you look at it, um, there's a little arrow on the bottom of the continent pointing down. Right. But even back in the 1600s, uh, arrows point, they point north. And and this is it's it's a double cipher that was used at the time. I've decoded it. And when you decode it and you apply it to the continent, it lines up to the west coast of Africa. Oh, and there's okay. tons there's tons, you know, again, once you know what you're looking at, all this stuff just comes into place. So it's not hard to figure it out.
2: So so do you think that was there water separating Atlantis from the rest of Africa or or no? Uh,
4: you know, okay, so what that that question is really a question about how do you reconcile this word continent that we're given right. in, in the dialogues. Well, it's just like a lot of things today. I'll ask you this question. What's a continent?
2: Well, that, that's an interesting question because I know that there's a lot of dispute. Like, no, it,
4: There's no dispute. There's no definition for
2: it. Right. Just, no one, it, no it's, one it, agrees. It's a,
4: it's a convenience. It's a contrivance. So we just they just decided. So why is Asia and Europe, why are those two different continents? Because they because they wanted them to be. They, and yeah. now they'll tell you, well, they're separated by mountains and great distances. Okay. Right. But yeah, you know. So what you know, so how come America isn't two continents? We've got the Rocky Mountain from up the middle.
2: Yeah, so, it's just, yeah, exactly. so in other words,
4: so, so when he calls it a continent, the, the actual word I and I used to have it is like um, shoot in the book I translate the word. Uh, and the word has a, has a variety of definitions uh, that they use that when they refer to land. Basically it's the word for island, it's the word for peninsula, it's the word for any body of any large piece of land that sticks out into a body of water. Well, west coast of Africa is a large piece of land that sticks out into a body of water. Now, and this, and the west, the west part of Africa is also separated by great distances and a mountain range through Mali that separates it from the Egyptian side. It, it has all of the conveniences of a contrived continent. Uh, they, now, there is a river that maybe separated Morocco from the southern part, but again, I don't. You don't need to bend and make stuff up or argue about where rivers were. Um, because it, it is, it is a continent as much as, uh, Europe and Asia are separate continents. It's this right. piece of land. that Well,
2: you have a mountain has. range. You don't need the river when you have a mountain range anyway. It was, it's the Atlas mountains, right?
4: Well, you've got the Atlas mountains to the north that separate Morocco and what they call the Western Sahara, the, the right. rest of it. And then you've got mount, a mountain range kind of in the middle Eastern side of like Mali and stuff like that that separates it. If you're coming from Libya, you're coming from that direction. So it's separate. I mean, it is, it is, especially, you know, we're talking even in Plato's time, right? I mean, it's it's a separate continent. The way you would get there, you wouldn't want to walk. And we know they wouldn't want to walk because when the Greeks uh, invaded Troy, which used to be a myth, but now it's a fact, uh, it would have been easier, it would have been closer to walk than to take boats. Uh, but they took boats because that's how you get there. It's more direct. And it's the same thing here. You could try walking across the entire, you know, 3,000 miles of Africa. Or you could just take a boat and ride the currents and be there in a tenth of the time. So, either and, way it works.
2: And also, Lake Chad was probably Sea Chad back then. It was much larger.
4: Well, yeah, you know, we talk about the Great Lakes. Chad was the largest freshwater lake ever that we know of on the planet. Right. So, you know, what, was it perfectly separated in its own landmass? Probably not, but if you throw the mountains in, you throw the lakes and the rivers. If you go back and look at the green Sahara and air quotes and where they think rivers were, it, it's everywhere. It, it's it's like the Mississippi Delta. I mean, at this point, you know. So um, yeah, but but if you sail around it and come at it from the west, uh, and there would have been a river. The Rishat sits in a basin. It would have been an island. Um, and you mentioned it's, it's it's pretty far across. It's a uh, um, hundred stadia across, which is we're told the radius is fifty stadia. So. And that's um, that's six and a half miles, so you double that. And then, oh, here, here's the other interesting thing. This is something else that no one ever bothers to, to look at. Plato tells us that the city uh, of Atlantis sat on a gently sloping plain to the sea, of three with mountains to the north of three thousand stadia. Okay. Well, that 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 makes almost none of the places that people like would be could, where they could be the capital. They can still be. They can still be Atlantis. I mean, the Azores absolutely was a province of Atlantis. In fact, the Azores is mentioned in the twins list. It's like it's the fifth. It's the first born of the fifth set of twins. His name was Azores, right? So we can solve for that. Right. But the the three thousand gently slope, three thousand stadia gentle slope to the sea. Well, there's a couple of things we got to unpack. Like what what the hell is a stadia, right? Um, well, it turns out a stadia is a unit of measure, and uh, at the time that Plato was writing. Um, it we're using the Alexandrian measure because Plato and Alexander the Great actually lived on the planet for like twelve years at the same time. Right. Now Plato was an old dude and Alexander was just a kid, but anyway. So it's six hundred and seven, like it's like six. Actually, it's like six oh six point nine feet, but I just do six oh seven. Sure. Then you multiply that out, and that comes to three hundred forty-five miles. You look how far inland is Sarishat structures three hundred miles. Well, what about if, if the, if the sea was lower, it wouldn't have been farther. It would have been farther. But if you go back and you look at the maps, a Delta forms exactly like the Nile Delta and the unit measurement holds of 345 miles. So it, so all, again, once you pick that place and you start to look
2: at these measurements with some context to them, they, they all make sense. Also, I mean, this is much later, of course, but not that much later than say Plato, I mean, Carthage and, and the design is very similar to the design of Atlantis, and that would make sense if, if that was, you know, their, you know, somewhat their descendants, at least geographically.
4: Well, yeah, the Carthians um, uh, descended from an unknown seafaring race, and the geography is exactly where Plato's measurements tell us Atlantis was. So I, I think it, they are absolutely what came later. And the kind of it, it wasn't a direct recovery. we there are there are thousands of years between those, um, but I, I think that those northern parts, especially on the other side, the northern side of the Atlas Mountains and the, nor- the Mediterranean side of Africa in general, probably didn't suffer the cataclysm to the extent that the places um, directly on the Atlantic Ocean did. Uh, so it's entirely possible. Well, and in fact, we know that. Here's here's the other thing. Um, your buddy told you that Plato's the only source for Atlantis. Everyone thinks that, right? Is that is that your understanding that Plato's the only source for Atlantis? Uh,
2: I mean, that's uh, well. There's Plato and Herodotus, and I think Timaeus. That I mean that that's what he said. Uh, I, I well, I'm well, not I, sure I mean, if he was Herodotus, right or not. Everyone,
4: everyone dismisses Herodotus, right? Because but Herodotus, who wrote before Plato, actually tells us exactly where the Atlanteans were living, and, it, and it's pretty much where the Carthaginians show up. It's it's in the northern Mediterranean coast. Um, and, but he gives us, and this is, you know, the, the, the brilliant academics, they just, any inconsistency they can find, they, they get confused by. It. But he actually spells the name, he, the people, because he traveled. And when he talked to them, he, he said the name Atlanteans was pronounced just slightly differently. Uh, in the Libyan desert, it was the Interarians. And then you get northern to the, the foothills of the Atlas Mountain, Mountains, and it's the Atlanteans. But he spelled it well. The translators spelled it differently than we spelled Atlanteans today. They use an I instead of an E. Mm-hmm. So when everyone does their little text searches because no one reads anything anymore, they don't find it. But, but then we overlay that king's list, and we can see that uh, the Morocco Atlanteans were the Imalus Atlanteans, and the uh, Libya Atlanteans were the Gnosis Atlanteans, which also translates into the, the Mediterranean places we find then we absolutely can justify dialectic drift of the name, especially over that great amount of time. Just like, I, you know, if you go to Mississippi and you try and order a soda, and then you go to Minneapolis and you try and order a pop, you know, it's the same thing, but they, but they say it a little differently.
2: Well, I mean, all linguistics is like that. I mean deus and zeus are the are the same i mean you you had a uh, pater becomes vater becomes vader becomes father i mean you know linguistics it's
4: called called linguistic drift and they they, they've done they kind of know how long it takes for this stuff to happen and all of that lines in perfectly to these locations so so the way i look at it you can't take Aratus by himself and claim his proof of Atlantis, but when you take, when, when you deconstruct Plato and you lay it out against the, the physical dimensions we get, mm-hmm. with, with the pieces that lock in and give us direction, then you, you take in the um, linguistic drift against the provinces. He's He nailed it. it. It couldn't be more perfect. It's exactly where it says. And then the last piece, everyone's heard of the Piri's map. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. And we've all been staring at it. Graham Hancock, I first was introduced to it in 1995. I bought his book, Fingerprints of the Gods, in an sure. airport. And I was traveling somewhere. I just listened to um, it. It's
2: free on Audible now. I listened to it again.
4: Yeah, I, I love it. Um, although he had to bend knee to get like the 14th edition published. He had to write a foreword that says he's an idiot. He doesn't know anything. Which, I, I but you gotta do what you gotta do. You gotta sell right. books. Um, but anyway, he talks. He enters the periodist map at, at part of the Charles Hapgood um, uh, theory of Earth crust Placement and all that stuff. but And everyone's always focused on the, the uh, upper left side that looks like it shows detail of North America. And this map was made like 20 years after Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Right. So it look, looks like there's more detail than there could have been. And then everyone looks at the bottom, which seems to show the continental shelf of Antarctica right. uh, as it goes over to South America. Some people think that the, that the guy uh, Perry Reese uh, who made the map was just an idiot and he ran out of paper so he bent it or something, which I, I, I don't accept any Answer to anything where someone had to be an idiot for the um, for the answer to work. But, but all that aside, if if you have a copy of the map and look at it, we've all been staring at uh, Africa, the Africa, you know, because the the west coast of Africa is very well known. And if you look at it, exactly where the Rishat structure is, there's a, a, a ringed city up a river surrounded by water. It, it it couldn't be a more accurate depiction of what Plato said and, and where the Rishat structure is.
2: Well, let's, then, let's go back to Piri Reis for a second because I think we give. I mean, everyone knows the Piri Reis map. But Piri Reis was an admiral in the in the Ottoman Empire or the Byzantine Empire. So it's it's not like he was an he clearly wasn't an uh, an idiot because he rose to a pretty high rank in a in a pretty tough place to to do that.
4: Well, yeah, and he came up as a navigator, and he commissioned this map because he was getting ready to get on a boat. And sail around the world and his life depended on. So so he wouldn't draw silly rivers heading into the Sahara Desert unless it was from a source, a map that was trusted.
2: Right. And people make a big deal about the, how do you know about Antarctica or Australia whatever? And, you know, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But he got a lot of things right.
4: Well, the easy answer is that our society goes back to Atlantis or farther. And, and so uh, people were going around and, and, and writing stuff down, and you know, because you know, we talk about the burning of the li- Library of Alexandria and all that stuff. Do you know ninety nine percent of the of anything that was written down uh, before like two thousand BC is lost, or you know, like like twelve hundred BC? Ninety nine percent.
2: Yeah, that's that. That's what I hear. I mean, I truly have no idea. So
4: yeah, I, well, they they they've they've, uh, they've figured it out. so almost all of it so Mm -hmm. so, you know two things what was lost and then why was it why was it burned
1: low energy or low E affects millions planet fitness can help get that big fitness energy with tons of equipment in the judgment-free zone. Don't wait. Join for $1 down, $10 a month, cancel anytime. Deal ends Wednesday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Low energy, or low E, affects millions. In fact, it would be running rampant if it had the energy to run. Fortunately, Planet Fitness can help. Now through May 10th, join for $1 down, $10 a month, cancel anytime. Enjoy equipment for every workout in our clean and spacious judgment-free zone. With your new big fitness energy, you can combat low E. Symptoms such as persistent couch crave and excessive leaning. Don't wait. Join Planet Fitness for one dollar down, ten dollars a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Wednesday, May tenth. See Home Club for details. And then just go out and look at the world
4: today and how we revise everything, right? We make up history to support a point. We don't care whether we're consistent with the last point we made. History can be very inconvenient, and I yeah. think that's re- I think that's why a lot of this stuff was destroyed. I guess so. Oh, one more thing, yeah. Jeff. Sorry, just to lay my case out. Now, the other thing when you start to look at the twins list, and this, this was a seafaring um, empire, we, we have, pet- I mentioned the petroglyphs in the uh, Western and Northern Africa, uh, there's petroglyphs all in Europe, there's also petroglyphs in Mexico, yes, um, and in the American uh, Southwest, and the interesting thing is they're the same petroglyphs, um, and on top of the petroglyphs, there are cave art, and have you heard of the cave art finding they, they did like three, four months ago?
2: Probably, but, uh, okay.
4: so basically, um, they discovered that in the European caves and they lived in like 450 caves, the, all those pictures we see of like the deer and the elephants and the whatever, the, we're, we're out, talking
2: about the Neanderthal cave paintings, right?
4: Well, we're just talking about cave paintings. I'm not, I mean, we don't know who, who wrote them. You, you, we, right. They might, I think the current narrative might be, they were, well, it wouldn't be Neanderthals. Neanderthals are a little older than this. Um, but see, you got you got to pull that back. You can't start to label this stuff like that. Mm-hmm. All we know is that they're there, right? Okay. Let's just focus on the fact that they're there. But this was and like Francis,
2: did. right? What's about, that? We're talking about in France.
4: Yeah, a lot. Well, you're all in your, France is very uh, some of the most famous ones are in France. There's a few very famous ones in uh, Mexico, but uh, they kind of run um, from France through Spain and then to the coast. Mm-hmm. And then they also run like you know Stonehenge is part of the run, but that's up in um, uh, England. But when Dog was here, this was all just one right, big plane. So it right. wasn't. So it's hard for us today to really understand the separation. But what they found is there's an encoding system on those animals. Uh, and the encoding is a series of uh, dots, up and down, stripped down lines, and stripped down lines that to us look like a Y. Okay? And what they found is, is that, um, like maybe there'd be an elephant. I don't have a chart in front of me. So this, this will be a real example. But this is a type of thing. Like, uh, let me do a deer. So let, let's say they find a deer. And they'll find the deer and it'll have, let's say, three single lines and then a Y um, next to it for the fourth line. Well, what that's telling us is the, the mating season and the birthing season of that animal. And they found it to actually be historically accurate. This has been proven. This has been researched and proven. The Y is the birthing season and then the straight lines are the mating season. Now, in order to have a season, you've got to have a, some kind of start date, Right. Well, it turns out month one in this in this system, and they didn't put this together. I put this together. Month well, they know month one is like late May through um, the first half of June. Okay. Okay. Well, that's exactly when the summer solstice is, mm-hmm. right? So now we know why all these buildings and rock formations and petroglyphs and all this stuff that was designed to measure measure the solstices. What are we told today? Well, Stonehenge it was a religious ceremony site. People would go there and do pilgrimages, and then. And they'll show us the pilgrimage. It's like idiots walking around with robes and candles. It's like, no. The world sucks, man. If you, if you don't think nature sucks, don't go, you know, don't, go, don't go glamping. Just go into the woods for a week. Right by yeah. your house, go into the woods. It sucks. Nature sucks. Um, so people okay. wouldn't have wasted all that time for, for nothing. Instead, it's a migratory calendar. Right. And the other thing that's interesting. They're tracking is food. Have, what's that?
2: They're tracking food, basically. Food and resources. Mm-hmm
4: well and, and when to move around and what to do right um so when you apply this county you have no month one all in order to month one you have to be able to measure the summer solstice okay and we find that all over american southwest in mexico and in in northern south america uh, all those places all in europe and, and the west coast of africa up to england you know all these places that would have been touched by atlantis here's the other, here's the other discovery that i've made that no one else managed to put together when i saw that the first thing i said was that's cool What's the oldest writing we ever have that people made? And it turns out it was found not that long ago. I forget exactly. I don't have, I don't have it in front of me. Within the past couple of years, uh, in, uh, it's currently housed in the Israeli Museum of Something. It's the Ramla bone fragment. And it was carbon dated. Uh, well, no, I don't want to say carbon dated because I don't know if that puts it. It was dated by the people that date stuff as being 100,000 years old. Wow. And it's the first markings ever found by a person. But guess what? The markings are this animal cataloging system. Right. Exactly. So it, it has like three lines and a Y. Well, that tells us that people were able to measure the solstices and catalog animals and move around 100,000 years ago. It's, pr- it's proof of it. They, people cannot like it, but it proves it. It proves it with this other discovery.
2: Oh I know that, I know that that's true, and then the reason is is that there's stories of the seven sisters everywhere, and you could exactly. you could only exactly. see six sisters, but if you go back a hundred thousand years and earlier, well you could see the seventh
4: yeah, it's, well it's, it's seven and the, the 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 legends everywhere of the seven you know the wise man with his seven whatevers right it's everywhere, everywhere you look for it. Um, and, and, so, you, and you can measure
2: your months by those and the, by seven days, months, so days. So we know and what they're
4: doing, and yeah. we know it's, a, it's it's a travel pattern because you also got to know when the summer solstice is because that's lining you up to make the journey on the currents, uh, basically from Morocco down the coast of Africa and then over to the Americas.
2: It also explains astrology, is- astronomy, which are not that different after all. Uh, but it, 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 it's, it's another way to measure. It's it's another way to measure time movement.
4: Yeah. Well, and forget ast- astrology, which kind of has a bad rap today. Forget yeah. everything you know about it. Right. Astrology came to us after the last cataclysm. And the only thing, it was just like a sentence. And it basically said, the stars in heavens affect the fate of man. That's it. That's astrology. Right. Everything else has been added on. But it absolutely does. It, it absolutely does because there's a rhythm to the world. And it starts to sound like pagan spiritually. But it's not. It's just there, there is a rhythm to the world. There's a time. And Thor in 1972, proved this. He, he had a boat, raw and raw too. He made a reed boat. He brought guys over from Lake Titicaca. That's where they build these things. And he sailed it on the currents from Morocco um, over to the Caribbean. And uh, it's it's exactly the way you get there. He did it. He, you know, he he did it. it took two months. Um, but you don't want to go during hurricane season. No. Right. There's a time to do it. Uh, so all of this is its just basically a calendaring system, and it's also a migratory path. There's a spiral circle that you see in the American Southwest that's used. Uh, and it's like It can measure the solstices, the equinoxes, like all kinds of stuff. But you, you don't just see that in the American Southwest. You see that in these caves. You see it all over the place. Right. Then you start to look at where these currents actually dump you and, and where they would have dumped you on the land there. And sure enough, you see all these petroglyphs, some of them very sophisticated looking, basically timekeeping and measuring devices so you knew – when it was time to go. Now, a lot of people weren't migrating. One of the criticisms would be, well, where's all the DNA evidence? Why don't we see plants, you know, all this stuff? It's like, well, this isn't isn't like huge populations migrating. This would be, you know, you've got 100 people in your clan, and you pick the two strongest ones because it's their turn to go on this trip. So you want to know when to send them off. But you also need this calendaring system so you know when everyone else is showing up because right? if everyone's doing this, you know you'll will you'll, you'll watch the calendar and okay, you know what? We should start expecting these visitors to come in. The last piece is, in order for a system like that to work, where you're traveling between Europe and Africa and uh, South America and the Caribbean and North America, you've got to have some type of civilization in place, or else you just have highway bandits and thugs and and bad cavemen who bop you on the head when they saw the boat coming in. Right, so there has to be sure. some ability to protect the people that are making this. All of that is the kingdom of Atlantis, and and Plato has captured the end of it, and then in the book, and then also I have YouTube videos where I, I can painstakingly, I think it's like seven hours worth of videos, I lay this out in absolute detail, but you can see the migratory past, you understand the timing, and you can absolutely see the fingerprints of a civilization that we call Atlantis. Everything lines up.
2: That is a pretty compelling case, and I, and I like how you boil it down to just you know, none of it's woo woo. It's just geography. It's just measurements, and it's just it's just following the resources and what you know and what humans needed, which we still need. It's just we yeah. found it a different way, sort of. Um, yeah, yeah it, and cool.
4: it's it's, it's I, I haven't figured out what to call myself. I, I I've tried physical historian, but that's not completely it because we also look at technology transfer. Um, And and all the stuff we've talked about, petroglyphs, measuring the sun, even agriculture, all of that is is a technology, and we can see its transfers. And then, I won't go into it all, but there's there's all kinds of misplaced artifacts, and there's all kinds of things that have been dismissed, that now you can go back and say, oh, wait a second. We don't need to dismiss that. It's not misplaced. It makes absolute sense when we understand that between uh, 11,000 years ago and 100,000 years ago, people moved around and did stuff.
2: Of course was pragmatic story, maybe i don't know uh,
4: yeah, yeah, pragmatic, something like that base i don't know what the word is
2: but. Yeah. it doesn't yeah. pragmatic doesn't have a catch though so you need to find something fancy f- anyway you know, i'm sure you'll meet, encounter people with better marketing ideas than a guy who came with with garden of doom for a show so <laughs>
4: <laughs> hey garden garden of doom is pretty good it, it doesn't it doesn't really do justice to the quality of your broadcast, but it's a good branding
2: name. So, so, so I've been told, but you know what? I had a fight with the the makers of the movie Doom and the video game Doom to, to get my little trademark. So uh, I think I've earned it. Uh, yeah,
4: no, you, yeah, absolutely. I, no, no, no going back.
2: Yeah, they no, are going back now. Anyway, so yeah, I I I like your case. So so before you move, because I wanna I do want to talk about Tartarium and 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 anything else because uh, you're in The Legend of Atlantis, which you know maybe is related to your studies, maybe not. Apparently they might have come descended from Hyperborean uh stock. So yeah, that's that's good, you can dispel that too. But before Bob are at is naturally breaking point, I usually do it at the end and we will also, but tell people your book. Tell them your YouTube channel. Tell them where they can find all of this stuff.
4: Yeah, the, these, so free, so my, the publisher website is Frequency99.com, the nines and numbers, so Frequency99.com. And that's got links to everything. The YouTube channel is called A History Of. So I did A History of Atlantis. I'm currently working on A History of Tartaria, that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, I've written like 49 books. Um, a lot of my books are fiction. Uh, I, tell, you know, I tell stories and stuff. Uh, I call them historical fiction. Uh, but yeah, on, and all this available. If you go to frequency nine nine, or just go to Amazon, or just search for David Edward Atlantis. I mean, I'm 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 the uh, most accessible unknown Atlantis person in the world right
2: now. Excellent. I think that's sort of. But oh, it's funny. that You said not funny, but you said you were in the Dorian Gap, and the Dorian Gap is like huge news now, and probably is to anybody who's been paying attention for a while, because it's it's like the jungle. Not pass. It's the it's used as a pass by migrants, but it, like in between Venezuela and Colombia, and like basically be, people go on this like death march to try to escape out of Venezuela. Now,
4: it, you know what you, you can. It, it is as far as I know, it is the most inhospitable jungle on the planet. And what happens is, you, there is a way to get from Colombia to Panama, but it's almost impossible to go from Panama. You have to go south. But yeah, they're coming through that and, you know, I assume there's, there's trail. I mean, you know, if there's lots of people, I assume there's some structure to it. It's not just have. them wandering in the woods. Right. But, oh, my Lord, is that a tough undertaking, especially families, kids, whatever. It's just awful.
2: Yeah. I mean, your your circumstances need to be more dire than probably any of us can I imagine. I'm
4: an old guy. Now, I sit in the air conditioning. I would never go back there, ever. I'm a, I, I mean, Believe me, I, I, I,
2: I. When you said walk in the woods, I remember as a kid camping, and I'm like, not not interested. I, I mean, I, I don't have any group of guy friends good enough that I'd want to get away and just drink beer with them in the woods, just just as an excuse. I,
4: well, I and he, yeah, yeah, and but even <laughs> no, then, it's kind of okay because you've got tents and you've got off for the bugs and all that stuff. But yeah, everyone, th- you know, everyone thinks nature is beautiful and serene. And we want to go back to nature. It's like, mm, yeah, I don't really think you've ever. You don't I think you know what nature is. Nature is awful. Nature is a struggle.
2: Yeah. Every second of it is a struggle. Well, I mean, so the, sort of the history of humanity is trying to uh, you know con- control nature. I'm pretty sure that's why in the in the Bible they, they make a lot of time to say that uh, God made the planet for you so that we could justify doing whatever we wanted to it to make it more hospitable to us because everything there is basically there to kill us and we're ill equipped to really f- <laughs> it, fight it, it, anything. It, it
4: everything little tiny ants are going to kill you yes i mean it's just awful but yeah oh, oh
2: my god yeah I, I i have a spider bite that i got six years ago that still hasn't yeah. healed Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> from maryland i'm in maryland <laughs> i
4: had a spider bite when i was in the military that spiders came out of
2: <laughs> wow that's terrifying that sounds it like a horror movie all right it was on my leg yeah it
4: was terrible
2: so let look. Well, I'm glad that, that, that you seem like almost like as wussy as I am, because you, you've been in the military and done stuff. Me, I'm just I'm just a natural wuss. Um, I'm just not afraid to say it. Uh, listen, what, when I mentioned hyperborea, you said no. So I guess well, back.
4: I, th- I said, I don't know. I don't know. I, oh, OK. I, I don't know. I'm not. Look, one of the things I don't care about, it, but because in today's world, you know, people want to know, well, with the aliens, do they have red hair? Like how, how the crap would I, who cares, right, right. I don't care because <laughs> that's a, dip, what they want is they want to take history and use it for a different kind of argument. I, I know. Yeah, so I, so I stay away but, from it.
2: But all. you know what, Yeah, I shouldn't say I know as to cut you off, you should say it I'm just saying I know, but I, I think I want, I think it's important that the guest expands on that.
4: Well look, I mean, and now understand, where I sit on things, I've got a new men's grooming product line coming out that I'm calling Toxic Max Felinity. So oh, I mean, wow. it's not I'm, you know, we, we've got to get out there and embrace the world and all that stuff. Um, but what I'm not going to let happen I'm not going to be dissuaded by or get get become part of the current nonsense of conversations in trying to figure out the past my my, my definition of history is that it should, history should record past events that that's my view of it um, I don't need I don't need current day morality stuck into it or any of that stuff. Now, that's not the current definition of history. The, it's almost the opposite.
2: But, no, 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 I no just, history should no, be history. We learn no we learn no lessons from history if we're not studying history. If you erase the bad stuff, you're just you're. I mean, we we repeat enough of the bad stuff with full history. We you will do even worse if we don't learn from it. But yeah, no, I, I I yeah the the red hair because it ties to giants and it ties to some you know biblical interpretations and 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 also at some point. Red hair, white people and you know, if you if you go too far into this realm, at some point if you if you open the wrong door, you're gonna find some you're gonna find white supremacy somewhere.
4: Well yeah, well yeah, exactly. And you wind up defending things that are irrelevant <laughs> to, to, to figuring Atlantis out. Right. So and what happens is like let's say we'll pick an a, and then, you know, a, a simple example. Let's say that I came in and said, yeah, and in 11,600 BC, at the end of the Younger Dryas, we know that it was ended because of, we have a comet impact in Greenland that we can point to. Right. Well, now people think if they disprove the Greenland Comet Impact Theory, they think they've disproven Atlantis. Right. Right. So we don't want to get into that. We don't, we don't care what color their hair was. In fact, DNA right. doesn't even, would never tell you anyway. Right. Um, I do have, I know we're audio and so you can see it. Yeah. I went and worked with a guy. Um, who does Stone Age tools? Mm-hmm. And this right here, this is a sickle, and this is a Stone Age tool. This this is a pine tar, and this would be a tool they could make reed boats with, and they could do uh, crop and, and, and uh, what they call it? They harvest the crops with. So, the, the level of technology, this is the other thing with, with, the, what, what, with what I just told you about Atlantis as, as an answer for it. We don't have to rewrite anything. We reinterpret a lot of stuff, but there's not a single thing that's made up, and there's not a single thing that doesn't point back. To a piece of data. Now, I might be interpreting the piece of data differently than mainstream people, but the data is there. Right. Um, so, and I'm telling you, I this is this is the answer. This is this is what Atlantis was, and it, it went on for at least ninety thousand years.
2: Yes, and I and I am very much prepared to say easily that if in fact Atlantis was where you say it is, and you make a very compelling case in Africa around you know probably ending around 11,600 years ago, but probably existing for some amount of time before that, that while biological people, we, it's the wrong term, but speciated probably some 2 million years ago, something like that, 12,000 years ago, probably People in Africa looked a lot like the people in Africa look now. Uh, you know, yeah. so they're yeah. probably African. And so if someone wants to say that's African supremacy, I don't care either. Wh- whoever well, it was,
4: no. was. <laughs> <And> <laughs> yeah. I worry. I don't know this. You, you made, that's an excellent point. And I, I've never voiced this before, but you just nailed something. I worry that a lot of the people that really come at me hard hating this answer. Are worried about those things versus a real answer. Yeah. Um, I mean,
2: so it, whoever was there doesn't change what the world is now. It's interesting. It's good to know, I suppose. But but I, I I fully presume that the if this was in Northwest Africa, that probably the folks who are in Northwest Africa now probably are fairly similar to the, the folks and probably with less of the you know Arab in, in invasion. Whether there was also. You know Mediterranean and you know some Semitic uh, influxes, probably.
4: probably. probably. Well, maybe well, like more. Said, it, 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 I've got. I'm. I'm. You can't see it, obviously. And I know this is. I've got. When I'm talking, I've got. I've got the map I drew up on my left here, where I've got all of the uh, Atlantean provinces mapped out against uh, a current day map and stuff. Uh-huh. And, and it, it very much. It wasn't global. It wasn't in the Atlantic and all those things. Um. But but very much lots of different looking people. Would have been part of this, the Atlantean.
2: The well, let's, let's why, why don't we go through this? Name, name, name some of the, the, the places where they would have been or where they would be now. I, I'm sure you don't have like the, the the names of the cities from 11th out. Maybe you do. I don't know.
4: Well, no, all, I, all I've done, and, and I'll reserve this. Up. If people are really interested, I'll, I'll ask them to go check out my YouTube channel. Give that us four. It takes a long time to set this up, and there are visuals. But basically, what I've done is I've mapped out all the twins list, and then I worked with the linguist on the phonetic. Uh, I call it phonetic drift, but the phonetic evolution of some of these words. Um, for example, for, here's, here, here's here's an example that's easy to hear. Um, there is the the mystical island of Avalon mm-hmm. that is a big part of right. Well, Arthurian, one of the twins is, his name is Evamon. Ah, oh, there you go. Okay. Well, linguistically, the drift Avalon Evamon, There it is. So right. it fits up to, in the Doggerland. It fits up, in, you know, to, to Doggerland, um, and we get that everywhere. We get. Um, I'm gonna. I, no one knows how to say this, but I'm gonna say auto it's spelled A-U-T-O-C-H-T-H-O-N. Some would say Autotons, however you want to say that. Um, that name starts to sound like some of the Aztec names um, in Mexico. And we also know when Montezuma and Met Cortez and all of that, one of the first things Montezuma said is, well, thank God, you people from the, the crazy East, you know, finally showed back up. I've been really worried that you weren't going to come back. Yeah. Um, and we get a twin's name that kind of aligns to that. And we have petroglyphs and, and other misplaced artifacts that we find in Mexico that seem to come directly from Europe. I mean, all that stuff. It, it it all lines up and it all makes sense. Um, and it, it, a lot of the places that people think, that have pe- people decided to claim was the capital city, um, I think they were just one of the provinces. C.A.s, was is a good example. Crete, Santorini, those, those are kind of remnants. Malta. Malta, I, and I do I go over this in one of the videos because I have – when you're counterintelligence agents in the Army, one of the things you're trained to do is look at uh, troop deployments and, and uh, your own troop actions to see if you can derive meaning from them because, you know, the enemies are looking at. So, so you get used to looking at a tactical layout of things, and the example I always use is um, if, what, what we found, I, what, what the team I was on found, and this is a long time ago, back in the 80s, was that before uh, soldiers would be deployed, for longer than about three days, if they were going to the field for a week or two or more, they would go with their family the night before to the grocery store to get supplies. Well, that means if we just watch the grocery store <laughs> and we see a bunch of people going at night, now, we, 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 as an enemy, we can we can now say, you know what, there's going to be a troop deployment. So now, yeah. so now we know. So So I look at that, and when you look at the Mediterranean, you look at Malta and Sicily, and you lower the sea level, you can start to see some strategic choke points and, and pieces of the military, and, and things have been found. There, there's a—I forget the name of the monolith they found in the channel. Oh, the Sicilian Channel monolith, which is um, a little uh, west of Malta. It's under water. It's on land. It was only above land during the last ice age, but it—but it's truly—it's—it's it's a man-made monolith. And when we look at that location; it would have been a choke point if you were trying to control the traffic and flow of the Mediterranean. Like if you're the Atlanteans and you're invading the Mediterranean, so it's all there is my point. It's all there, and you can go as deep as you want, and it all starts to make sense once you understand how to look at it.
2: Okay, so in you know in the myth of Atlantis, which might be different than the reality of Atlantis, um, we know that they lost one war to a power to the east, and eventually they also lost a war to the Athenians. Um yes. Uh, you know, so sort of like the uh, co- colonies breaking away from the, the the British Empire, I suppose. You know, technology wise um, yeah. or skills, but this this power to the east. Uh, any thoughts on who that? I'm not talking about Timaeus with the Amazons. I'm I'm, I'm guessing that was fiction. Um, you know, but uh, Well,
4: maybe not. I mean, they, they you know South America is involved.
1: With easy-to-operate Husqvarna residential zero-turn mowers, you'll actually enjoy mowing. Superior performance, maneuverability, and comfort is what a great ride is all about. Learn more at Jack
0: Small Engines in Jarrettsville.
4: Um, The way way I look at it, and I focus mostly on, you know, so you mentioned the Athenians. And we we have to, you know, historically they weren't Athenians in in 11,000 B.C., they at best, we could call them proto-Greeks. Right now, they were absolutely people there. They, you know, they didn't look. They weren't. They weren't Plato's people with city-states and all that. But they were somebody. And and Egypt was, I think, pretty clearly there. Mm-hmm. And so what I always say is the Olympians were good at lots of things, but apparently they weren't that good at war because <laughs> they kind of got their butts kicked by the Athenians, right? Um, so I, I think they were. I think they became ambitious. You know, you you, you can start to overlay moral stories, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I'm just making it up in my head. There's no way, and, and we'll never know. It is, we're not going to find the Atlantean scroll that, that details ten thousand years of their history. It's gone.
2: Right. Um, it could also be a nice origin story for Athens, right? We we you know we're we're the inheritors of you know the Russians are still trying to be the inheritors of the Roman Empire. The Athenians, yeah. you know, may want to be the inheritors of the atlantean empire by by victory by vanquish
4: yeah yeah i mean but again you know see yeah that is what it is you know whatever um but what whether it was there and whether it was and when we say it was destroyed in eleven thousand six hundred bc and he talked about uh, the Carthaginians and stuff um i think i think this whole i think the the trade component and all that was wiped out but there are clearly remnants of this. You look at Crete. Crete has a very exotic culture. I think that probably culturally is the closest thing we're going to see to maybe what, what was going on. Um, I also think that a lot of the megalithic buildings, the, the pyramids and all those things, I my opinion, I mean, that is just my opinion. It's total speculation. My opinion is all that stuff was built after this cataclysm is a way to try and survive the next one. That's mm-hmm. what makes sense to me. So, in other words, the Atlanteans weren't building pyramids. Uh, their history is recorded in things like pyramids and temples, um, but all of the mega structures that we see are in response to what happened, because I think enough people survived who we they're like, ah, that, that sucked. And if you read a lot of Plato, I think I think it's, I don't know if it's in creation, it might be in the laws, maybe one of the other ones. There's kind of this, well, you know, you know, civilizations get wiped out in cataclysms all the time. Do you agree with that? Oh, yeah, everyone agrees with that. You know, I mean, it's kind of like a well-known thing that was going on back.
2: Well, there's all the different ages of man, but so you're suggesting yeah. that they were basically, we have bomb shelters these days, but they were worried, worried about floods, so they created flood shelters.
4: Well, or I think they tried to build buildings that could survive a cataclysm. Mm-hmm. For example, now, total speculation, this is just me being like everybody else. Okay. All these pyramids in Egypt and all the tombs and everything, we're, we're told the tombs, but we've never found a mummy or a sarcophagus in any of them. I think those were structures built where they could put knowledge and documents to survive cataclysms. And when you start looking at it like that, like well, that makes complete sense because no, you're not going to stick a dead guy in the box because that's when you're putting all your memories and everything you want to be able to come back and get once everything settles down again. And it makes sense. Like it, it starts to make sense to everything. So now the pyramids makes everything starts to make sense for why, because I could never forget like, like, why, why would you build something that's that big? It's just, and we're always, you know, the, the current view is the historian tells us, well, they just worked really hard. Um, it's like, well, did they have slaves for the for the pyramids? They used to tell us they did. Now, no, no, it's just a bunch of people that really wanted to do it. How fast did they build it? <laughs> twenty years, bro. It's like, geez, you know, we can't get the nine eleven building, the Freedom Tower. has taken us twenty, it's over twenty years, and I don't even know if it's done yet. So, uh, you know, whatever. It's just the idea that they just worked really hard um, and did things that were, were would have been stupidly impossible and probably killed most of them. Again, I just don't buy that as as the answer.
2: Right, and then, and there's other places where there's megaliths that are built where the history is more clear, like in China, like one of the yeah. one of the megaliths, they like they know it took 600 years to build. So yeah. I mean, you know, that's well, that's when years.
4: you start to drift into Tartaria. It's a transition because in Tartaria, like I say, well, you know, we're talking about you're talking about China stuff. but what, what Tartaria becomes interesting, and it kind of is the next natural place to go from something like Atlantis, is you start to see architecture. It has suspicious uh, origins, but it's the same architecture everywhere, right. everywhere. And I visited some of these places. I went to Fort Morgan, Alabama, which has, we told us it's, a, it's a, a, a Revolutionary War and then Civil, no, I'm sorry, Civil War fort. Well, it, War of 1812 and then the American Civil War. Um, and then the story for that one, and it's this beautiful star fort. And the story is that it took uh, 20 years, something like that. And uh, the f- five people were assigned to build it, military people, and four of them died. And the final guy did it because he leased 200 slaves and they worked really hard. It's like, okay, it, they moved, the, the building is made out of 34 million cubic yards of brick. And it's basically on a, a little sandbar in the middle of the ocean. Well, I don't think 200 of anybody could move thirty-four million cubic not not feet cubic yards of brick. Doesn't make any sense. And then you start to look at the um, uh, the artisanry used in the brick construction, and it's it's using it's, you know typically with bricks you build two over one, two over one, two over one. That's how you build everything. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you build something super fancy, and you got money and time. There's other ways of doing it, and we find these other really fancy and high-end masonry techniques like in these star forts. It, it, it all just doesn't make sense. But if you start to think of Maybe there was an energy independent uh, neo uh, Byzantine culture that kind of was something to do with the Mongols, something to do with that big plain in the uh, middle and eastern part of um, Russia today and China. And they start to look at, well, they very naturally would have come over into what we call the Western United States today, where we see Tartarian cities. And it, it, it all makes more sense to me than, well, yeah, they had two hundred slaves, and so yeah, some of them were women and children. But my God, did they work hard, and they really had pride. And you know, what I mean, it's just you know, what I mean, so Tartaria. Now, the problem with Tartaria is unlike Atlantis, where you can answer it and not feel bad. If Tartaria starts to become true, even parts of it, it means everything we know is a lie and has been manipulated, and that the history that we know about might only be a couple hundred years old. It's a mess, mm-hmm. and it makes it makes, for me. It makes me feel sick. I always say it fills me with dread. Yeah. Uh, the, the problem is the more I look the more it looks like something is going on that's different than what we were told
2: okay well what what do you think that that something might be I,
4: I don't know Actually, I'm, I'm still working on it at this point and I've done a couple of videos on it the, the, all I can commit to at this point is I there's, there's absolutely something there I think um, because you can look at the, the building architecture and you like you can look at the world's fairs um, some of the stories around the world's fairs just don't add up. And, uh, you, see, and you start to look at what they call Antiqua which is the stuff on top of these buildings. And I've got a video I, I found. Someone put together this one in um, Cambodia, I think, that still works. So you can go there and it fires up and it makes kind of a an ohm electrical sound. And it's on top of the building and you can see it collecting le- the electricity. Uh, so it looks like something to do with electricity um, went on. And it had something to do with a bigger footprint of some civilization that we don't get told about today. But beyond that, I, I don't know. I, okay. I I have a couple of theories, but I'm I'm reserving until I can do a little more research. Yeah, on well, well
2: yeah. hopefully you'll come back when you when you're ready to present on that. Um, sure. Last question, I think. How do yep. the how do the tepis fit into any of this? Göbekli Tepe, Kara and Tepe.
4: Well, I think I think you know all you know they're finding more and they're going back all farther and farther. But Göbekli yeah. Tepe. Um, is another one of those uh, kind of... In fact, I think if you look at Gobegle tepe I think it, it, you kind of, if you were able to, to take Gobegle tepe and mush it into that ancient Crete bull cult society, I think that's probably what we would have been looking at uh, from an Atlantis standpoint. Because Gobegle tepe it shows up at exactly the time Atlantis was destroyed. So, so it's, it's a pier. It, it, it's in the same timeline. And it showed, it seems to show that a lot was going on that we don't understand. And again, what they what do they tell you now? They say, well, it was a religious center, and maybe all of these circular things with the the rocks, people would come and they do religious ceremonies. It's like,
2: yeah, but that's abandoned now because they they found so many more that it it wasn't well, just yeah, one off. Yes. It wasn't a temple center. It wasn't like a regional center. It seems like this was the, it wasn't the exception. This was the rule. They were they were building these things all over the place,
4: which is one thing that frustrates me because you get into these arguments, I get into them all the time. I'm, I'm constantly I constantly have because I, I'll say things like I think most of the mainstream academics are twerks and idiots and not that bright. I constantly have them coming after me. And what I like to point out is they'll come after me with the current narrative. Like if, if they came after me five years ago, Gobegle Tepe was a temple site. Right. Now because they found the other Tepe's that that that's evolving. And I was some I something you know you you're really comfortable really aggressively being wrong, aren't you? Because all you're doing is, is I don't even need, need to talk to you. I can just go read what the current you know view is. Right. And that's what you're going to argue. And then when it changes, you're going to pretend like it was never anything but whatever they're now telling you to say.
2: Right. So the, Theory like is not a dirty talk. word. The, theory is just what you, your, your best guess now or one of your, one of your top half dozen guesses right now.
4: Well, but my big thing is, why did you say it was a temple when you had no clue? Whatsoever right. you, they didn't know at all. They pulled it out of their ass and they ran with it, and they all fell on the sword. And they would have stoned th- you to death, right? Because that that was their view. Now, it clearly is something else. So now right. that's their view. It just you know it's it's a mob mentality. Um, and then people tell me, well, why don't you get your stuff peer review published? It's like it's the same people, dude. I've, look, I, I've run, I, I ran an academic uh, journal one year. I mean, I've been president of university. I've had these people report to me. These are not by and large. Good people, I wouldn't want to have dinner with them, and I certainly wouldn't let them hold my wallet. Uh, So you know, it's just I I get really irritated with with the the view of people where they say stuff they don't understand why they they're saying it; they just know they're supposed to.
2: Well, I think I'd I'd enjoy being a skybox, watching you getting very irritated with people uh, (laughs) in in person. I think that might be fun, but uh, uh, maybe that says more about me than anything else. Anything else that you want to tell us before? No, I don't Joe? know.
4: I mean, look, I've, I've talked, I've, I've ranted pretty good here. You've let me rant. I appreciate that, Jeff. I, I, I've I've climbed up on many a soapbox, but I tried to lay out as, as best I could the general theory. And I guess my only other message would be a lot of these things only seem mystical and confused. Because that's what they want us to think. They don't want us to know about our true history. I don't know why. Uh, But I do believe, as Graham Hancock says, that we're a civilization with amnesia. And I think the fact that our history has been falsified is a big part of why none of us can get grounded today and we can't figure out right from wrong. I I guess that's my closing analysis.
2: I think that's a good closing. Uh, And I I really can't top it. So I guess, once again, remind us the name of the book and where they can find you and find your stuff.
4: Well, the book is Atlanta Solved, The Final Definitive Proof. Uh, and uh, even people that uh, I've gotten mostly good reviews, I've gotten a couple one- and two-star reviews, and what they generally say is, uh, this guy writes like a pompous ass. But well, yeah, he kind of proved it. Uh, so <laughs> if I write like I talked here. It, it's, and I'm also very authoritative. I, I hate it when I come into these spaces and the person's all wishy-washy and they don't know, and there's three things. Like, no, no. If you don't know, shut up. If you do know, tell us. And so I, I believe I do know. I'm not telling you I don't know. I believe this is it. I believe it's been answered. And I lay it out in that in the book, Atlanta Solved, and also on my YouTube channel, a History of, like I said, it's like seven hours of videos where I go through this in ridiculously painstaking detail. And I lay out every piece. And everything I've said here is supported by at least a piece of evidence if not three. So,
2: Excellent. All right. Yep. All right, folks, we'll check out his book, buy it, uh, check out his videos, and uh, follow him. I assume you're on Twitter and all of those other great places. I don't do
4: it. No, I don't do any social. My, my publisher does. I... I, uh, I've I've learned you know you don't want to do any of that stuff because okay. all you can do is get yourself in trouble.
2: So, Sarah, I see I try and get myself in trouble. I'm just not important enough yet. All right, well, very very good then. Well, then you won't find them on social media, but you can follow us YouTube stuff. I'm, I'm sure there's a subscribe and follow and all that other good stuff get the yep. notifications and uh, buy the book and hey listen, I enjoy you ranting and Ravian and and I don't uh, guess this on their soapbox. that's cool. This is Garden of the Doom that, that's this wasn't even really doomy. this is this is a it's sort of hopeful if you if you bother to listen to what you said. I mean if you learn history, you you you, can, you, you learn from history. so uh, so I'll that, tell
4: you you know if I come on again, I, I also just oddly enough uh, I passed I died. In, in in February this year. Yeah, I died in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. Uh, so so I so I had that whole experience too. Um which has shaped which is which is shaped this whole other conversation. But I, I just want to reinforce what you said, which is once you start to just just don't listen, just go look. And and the history is there. And once you understand it, there's a calm and, and not only are you calm, but the way forward is so clear and it's so easily obvious. And it's right there for us in plain sight, but when you can't listen, you have to go look. Right
2: it's about not to have an agenda you let let the uh, let the evidence take you where things are
4: and it, and it, and it'll answer all your questions and it's it's we we our history we are much better than we're told it from our history. we have done many more things and our our species has much more hope um
2: than we're led to believe today. Absolutely. I, I know. All I read, read is doom, 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 doom. And, and I know it sounds weird coming from a guy that has a joke called Garden of Doom, but uh, as I point out on, on the other show with Atlantis, we just crossed 8 billion people. I mean, I, I, in my lifetime, we were at 4 billion people. So, I mean, for, for all of the bad things we're doing to ourselves and each other, I mean... We're not doing too badly by humanity anyway. I mean, it's a, I'm open to the question about what we're doing about, you know, the rest of the planet. But uh, we, we, have been, uh, we have been multiplying, and we've been keeping that fruitful and multiplying thing going pretty well, pretty strong.
4: Yeah. So Yeah, the planet's the plan been very good to us. It supports a lot of us. And honestly, it can support a lot more of us. So I'm not worried about any of it.
2: All right. Well, cool. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll have that discussion in between that and Tataria as well. So you're welcome back anytime. Uh, good luck. Enjoy the rest of your your day. I'm glad that you uh, were resuscitated in that ambulance. Or, or uh, I'm or very after. glad too, by the
4: way. Oh, and just to close out, the first words I heard were Drew Carey on The Price is Right saying that he loved me and he wanted me to take care of myself because he wanted me to watch the show tomorrow. And I was like, that's a weird thing to wake up open to but i have watched the prices right every day since
2: then well i think that you should start a cult where drew Car- carrie is god so <laughs> I, i'm
4: considering it yeah i might get it i might get, t- get prices right tattoo i have to i haven't decided
2: to i mean that 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 sounds like uh like a like one of those cone brothers movies
4: yeah yeah it was on the tv in the hospital when i was in the room and i woke up like, speaking
2: speaking of the cone brothers movies uh if it hasn't dropped already by the time i drop this show it will be coming soon i interviewed somebody who uh is a reverend in the religion of Judaism, which uh uh follows the, the purposely their myth, they have a fictional mythology based on the okay. big Lebowski, so really cool stuff.
4: Anyway, hey, I, I celebrate Festivus like we all should, I yeah. mean, right? It's all there,
2: sure. Well, I, I'm always up for the airing of grievances, so
4: it defeats of right? The, it's the best holiday ever.
2: Absolutely sure, and the food. All right, yeah, hi Jeff. All right, thank you very for thanks for joining us, everybody. Check out the stuff, and thanks again for listening in. And hopefully, we'll hear from you, and uh, we'll, and you'll be listening to us again next time in the Garden of Doom.